This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wongal people and the Yagara Turrbal peoples. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Strap in. Buckle up. It's story time, folks. This is Australiana Rama. Hello, I'm Jessica Aidy and I'm here with my best mate and co-host, Maddie Nixon. Hiya. Strap in. (laughs) This episode contains swear words and endangered birds. And you can find photos of these feathered friends on our Instagram at Australianorama. Alrighty. I'm ready. I'm so ready. Maddie. Yep. When I say iconic Australian birds, what comes to mind? First and foremost, definitely kookaburras. Definitely have woken mm-hmm. me up many times. Um, love a good emu. Absolutely. Oh, an ibis is good or ibi. They're great. Ibi, ibis, ibis. Plural of ibis is potentially ibi, but I'm also making that up. It's funny you ask because it is actually mm. bird week. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah. I know you what, didn't what goes on in it. Bird Week? Well, according to Gardening Australia and the episode that I watched last night and I chose to do so, <laughs> it's a week where we celebrate birds in Australia and, you know, you can make a bird bath or you can plant some flowers that are good for birds. It's just a good time. Wow. Mm. Well, it is a, it's a great coincidence because what I've done for Bird Week is <laughs> learn a lot about <laughs> a bunch of, I mean, lesser known endangered Australian birds. They're not your emu, they're not your kookaburra, they're not your noisy miner, bloody everywhere. These ones are struggling. Um, and there's there are some people called the Difficult Bird Research Group. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, sure. And most of my um, content is birds that they're particularly interested in. Um, so the Difficult Bird Research Group are a group of plucky conservation scientists mm. from ANU, Australian National University, and one border collie. Wow. That's the team. Hang on. A, a dog? Yeah. The dog is part of the team? The dog is part of the team. Um, so there's 15 or so conservation scientists, and then one of them has a dog called Zorro, who is learning to detect owls. <laughs> Okay, good. I like where this is going already. It's a hoot. We will. We will. <laughs> and everyone <laughs> signs off the podcast immediately. Well, it's been fun. We've had fun. Uh, we'll come back to Zorro and the owls. I'm sure we um, will. So basically the, the difficult bird group, they focus on birds that are really difficult to help. Um, mm. So obviously through loss of habitat, deforestation, but also self-sabotage, these birds are barreling towards extinction, honestly. There's a relatable. (laughs) It's the year for it. Relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so these scientists, like, they're helping these birds that sometimes they don't want to be helped. Mm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have sent you some photos, Maddie, Mm -hmm. um, that I will ask you to refer to as we go along. Um, So the first one is a palm cockatoo. Got, Do you see someone that might fit that description? I believe so. Uh, a black feathered bird with a round bit on the side of its face. Is that the one? Mm-hmm. 
What? Yes, could you describe what you see? Look, it's definitely um, going through its teenage angst phase, uh, mm-hmm. feeling a lot of feelings, wearing a lot of black, a good, a good splash of red, which is nice. It's nice to the eye. I have no idea why it's called a palm cockatoo. They're all sitting in gums and they do not look like the palms. I think it's due to the, the area that they are in. Uh, but, yeah, so they're a big black cockatoo they're with, like, spooky. red cheeks. Spooky. And, like, a big, um, like, a really big beak. And they do have yeah. the second largest beak of any parrot. Oh. Um, I've learned that the, the hyacinth macaw is the only one with a larger beak. Oh. Don't know, don't know them, but that's Oh, I know her I know. very well. Mm. I've never met her. Uh, well, it's a charismatic bird. Mm-hmm. That's what the scientists say. Um, and it is Australia's largest cockatoo, so like 60 centimetres tall or so. And they live for many decades in captivity. We're not so sure about how long they live in the wild. They're endangered in Australia because they're only found on top of Cape York, about 10 to 20 hours drive from Cairns. And there are larger numbers of them still in Papua New Guinea. And these are ancient birds, mm-hmm. which means like they were the, the first kind of offshoot of the ancestors of all cockatoos. Well, that's very mm. impressive. Right? And, like, all birds are dinosaurs, but this is true. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. All birds are dinosaurs from are, biologist um, Jessica Aidy. Mm, yes, I'm a ornithologist. Is that what a bird scientist is? I don't know. I write plays. <laughs> we'll ask the bird group. Oh, yeah. They can get in touch. Yeah, they're avid readers. They'll let us know. If you know what a bird person is called, please call what I <laughs> I don't know the um, Yeah, so they've got like a, a complex vocal repertoire. So there's lots of different oh. whistles and they have a, a hello sound. Like they, they make a sound that sounds like a person saying hello, which sounds terrifying. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't want to know about it. Cairns is mm. already spooky. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> don't need to hear like a, a, a whispered hello in the night from an unknown source. <laughs> through the humidity. Sorry, Cairns. Yeah, <laughs> if we can get, if it can swim through the soupy air. Oh God! Sorry, Cairns. I didn't mean to. But you are truly really a beautiful spooky. part of the world. It is, and I think that's why it's called a palm. Mm. Yeah, so they're threatened because of like land clearing and mining, so like large-scale habitat loss and changed fire regimes. Like they live Mm. in burnt-out hollow trees and so like Aboriginal traditional like fire management was really important to their success and so without that they're they're having a rough time, poor dolls. But also the element of self-sabotage is what I'll get to. Oh, God, Uh, why? You're already doing it (laughs) tough to make it worse. So according to the scientists, they're impossible to catch and difficult to study. Like the scientists climb the burnt out trees when they can, but if it's too dangerous, they're just there with a camera on a long pole. (laughs) Um, And the thing is, so these birds, sorry, did you have a question? I was just going to, you would say that they're a private bird, would you? They are. They are a private bird. Which is fair. Um, They've been here before we were, but yeah, that makes it hard. A noisy bird, (laughs) but... (laughs) A noisy private, private bird. I know a few of those. <laughs> mm. um, so really they, silly. like, <laughs> I think it's fine. Um, oh, keep it in. <laughs> oh, I will. Don't you worry about that. Um, yeah, so they live for, like, many decades. But the problem is they're not super keen on boning. Oh, like the you pandas. Know? Mm. 
So the females, like they lay one egg every two years, which is apparently normal for them. Okay. Um, But that egg has a 20% chance of actually like being a baby, like being fertilised. Um, and therefore, the numbers are rapidly declining because mm. the ladies are quite picky. Fair Which enough. Which is fair, especially in Cairns. Just saying. <laughs> the dead silence was not very supportive. <laughs> what does it mean? That was not a yes-and um, moment. <laughs> Sometimes my brain stops. Um, oh, if I had a day. Oh, dear. <laughs> You'd have a lot of them. Um, so they live for ages, though. Um, a male at Taronga, lucky boy, he had sex for the first time at age 29. <laughs> Please never say lucky boy in reference to sex ever again. Good God. It's an endangered bird. We want to support him. <laughs> something about the tone. It was, oh, God. All right, keep going, keep going. But a female at London Zoo laid her first egg at age 40. So she spent 40 years completely unbothered living her life and then, yeah, decided, all right, give these fellas a go. Sure. I mean, that's her right. Um, But the most fascinating thing about these cockatoos is they're actually known as the Ringo Star of cockatoos. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) What? What do you mean? No, they're not. No. They are. No. No, they're not. The Ringo Star. They are. Maddie, uh, wait for it. Like wait. Wi- wi- widely are they? Oh, God, the start is yeah. really coming out tonight. Widely are they known as that? Yes. Or is it within this Yes, society? yes, yes. And for a very good reason. Okay. They are the only non-human species to make a sound tool or musical instrument. Okay. They make drumsticks. No, they And they, they play don't. the drums. No, they don't. <laughs> is that what that photo is there? Old mate holding is a it? stick? Yep. Fuck off. He is. He's playing the <laughs> drums. Mm. So part of why they've got that gnarly beak and the, the males have a larger one is that they, like, break off a branch, they peel the bark, they whittle it down to 30 centimetres or so, and then they hold it with their foot and tap on their hollow tree. And they all have like different rhythmic signatures. What? And it's, yeah, it's not random. It is like a rhythmic thing to attract the ladies. Um, so, like other birds and mammals make and use tools to get food, but this is the only thing other than people that has been seen to like make a musical instrument. I mean, to be fair, I have been partial to a drummer in my time. So, haven't we all? I mean, haven't we all? Drummers <laughs> and skaters, something about them. I'm like, all right, let's go. I don't know. Oh. Um, yeah, and so like rhythmic music is common to all human societies, but apparently we don't know why. Yeah. Like from my Googling, we don't know why, which is insane. But like, so this ancient bird also developed it to attract the ladies. So maybe that's the same impulse. Well, dudes. Dude showing up. Tower's oldest time. Truly. Um, yeah, and I think the, the funny thing is that they go to so much effort to make their drumstick, do their elaborate performance, and the ladies are still just like, oh, um, maybe, it, maybe, no. Is it because, like us, they have also learnt that drummers are generally unreliable, you know? <laughs> I think <laughs> probably. I don't, and again, sorry, shitting on cans, shitting on drummers, love you both. I just mean artists in general, including myself. Yeah. They can be a little bit unreliable. 
Um, I've been known to play the drums in my past. I know. I lived with you when you had a drum kit and you made direct mm. eye contact when I said that drummers were unreliable. <laughs> I've told you that I always yeah, so wanted they're... to play the drums, but my parents made me play the flute, which is not the same thing. No, it's it really didn't not. last very long. Yeah, so they're the Ringo star of cockatoos. And, I mean, no shade to Ringo, but I don't think that he's ever been considered the sexiest member of the Beatles. No, so perhaps that's, an, that's, it's an, that's just partial. Yeah, like it, so it's maybe an appropriate nickname. They might be great drummers, but they are absolutely not getting laid. Yeah, well, wow. I never knew this mm. was the road we were going down. Yeah, and see, now I know this forever. Yeah. I now know this. We all know this. Yeah. About the palm cockatoo, the Ringo star of cockatoos. All right. Next bird. We're going to move on. Come at me. The orange-bellied parrot. Okay. There should be some pictures there. Um, they're not super important because it is just like a little, it's a mostly like greeny parrot. It's got a little, yeah. little orange belly. Yeah. Naturally. It's pretty cute. Yeah. Um, and like the babies are ugly. The babies look like the shit I pull out of my dryer when I clean it. <laughs> Uh, look, it's 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 accurate, um, and they've probably tragically got a similar level of intelligence oh, as no. whatever comes out of your dryer. <laughs> Are they equally um, that's, I don't I'm know. Sorry, probably. That's, that's not, keep going. Um, they're Australia's most threatened bird. Oh, um, sorry. And like, I I first learned about them a couple years ago, and about the difficult bird group when reading like an article in the Guardian, which I have found because it stuck with me because it was some really beautiful journalism. Um, so the title: Scientists scale trees in desperate attempt to save orange-bellied parrot. Subtitle: Critically endangered bird down to just fourteen in the wild, not helped by being morons in quotations with poor survival instincts. Oh, oh dear. Um, fourteen. They're just. Mm, they've not been doing well, um, and there's some really great quotes from a researcher in the bird group from ANU, and. I think I would pronounce it Dr. Dayan Stojanovic. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to go okay. with. I'm going to go with Dr. Stojanovic. Apologies if that's incorrect. So according to Dr. Stojanovic, there's a couple issues with, like, say, breeding them in ca- captivity and releasing them into the wild, mm-hmm. according to him. And this is a quote, you just raise these fat, lazy parrots who have no idea how to avoid a predator and are totally unfit for making a migration. One problem. Well, it's not the nicest compliment I've heard. No, and this is a man who loves these yeah. birds. Yeah. Oh, dear. The next one, a headwind on the Bass Strait could black out the whole species, which is a fairly depressing picture. Oh. I regret making my flammable joke on just for the record. Yeah, so they're, they're not the cleverest bird. Um, they look like my cat. Like that, like the, like, and I thought this before you said they weren't clever, mm. but there's the level of like soul that's in their eyes. I'm like, oh, that's my cat. And then now you've said that they're a bit dumb, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're anxious is. cat. Yeah. Um, for our listeners, I genuinely think Maddie's cat has hallucinations. <laughs> I think she thinks that too. <laughs> oh. oh, it explains a lot. Um, yeah, a final quote on these from Dr. Stojanovic. Literally everything gets them. They are morons. They really are morons. Um, yeah, so they're a migratory bird. They they breed in like southwest Tasmania in a World Heritage Area and they fly across to the mainland for winter and they've 
lost a lot of habitat in both locations since um, colonisation, pretty much. So, and it's in quite a remote area, so they're tricky to study. But also, they've got a new predator. Oh, God. A terrifying enemy, which tears them from their nests and eats them. The sugar glider. Ah! That was a genuine (laughs) response. (laughs) Those things, in theory, are cute. In actual reality, terrifying. Have you ever been swooped by a sugar glider? Have you? I mean, no, but think about it. (laughs) Think about the idea of being swooped by a glider. Think of one, like, swooping onto your face and concealing it like a plastic bag in the wind. It wouldn't be great. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, so these tiny, fluffy little base jumpers with big eyes, um, they would prefer to eat, they eat like sugary things like sap and, and flowers, but they also eat insects. They're like omnivores, but they're, you know, opportunistic. Mm-hmm. So with them losing habitat and also that being introduced to Tasmania from the mainland, they've developed a taste for endangered parrots. Oh, God. And interesting because sugar gliders, obviously they're a, they're a native animal in Australia, but not in Tasmania. Um, And they know this for a couple of reasons, but one is like, say in the 1800s, white people really into natural history, very trendy, which means you get a lot of like lovely botanical drawings, but also then like taxidermy and like keeping things as trophies. And they didn't really have much evidence of people in Tasmania doing that to sugar glasses. So they kind of figure out when. So someone went, this is a great pet, but this is a thing we're going to put in a zoo. And then... From there, they've lived in Tasmania. Yeah. Um, and, again, the loss of traditional burning practices and agricultural practices has really fucked them up. Um, so all these, the grasses that they eat are struggling and, like, logging continues. But there is hope okay, good. for the orange-bellied Thank parrot. God. Poor dolls. Like, because, I mean, the difficult bird group, bird group are really trying. So from 1995 to 2017... Baby bird survival rates crash majorly. Used to be about 50% survived the migration, but in 2017, four out of five died. Oh, um, in 2017, there were three ladies and 14 dudes in the wild. Birds, that is, not the researchers. Wow. In 2018, they took like a private plane to get them from Victoria to Tasmania. So they didn't all die before they could have more babies. Oh. And in 2019, there were 13 ladies and 10 dudes which is, you know, getting there. And in April, it's yeah, it's a better, more healthy ratio. It's a small gene pool. By April this year, by like introducing some captive birds, there were 118 heading north for winter. And a good result will be if 40 to 50 of those (laughs) survive to breed next year. Wow. So if half of them make it, absolute great result. I mean, it's a standard to live by. Mm. 50%. 40 to 50% success. They're just not equipped to fly over large distances, poor dolls. To be fair, neither am I. So I can't be that critical. Well, okay. (laughs) Good. Yeah, so that's the orange-bellied parrot. Similarly, there's the swift parrot, which also struggles eaten by sugar gliders. Yeah. And then one of my other other notes just says polyamory. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of effort. So, yeah, it's and it is it is a lot of effort for the parents. Yeah, they can't cope. Yeah, right. Okay, not everyone can do it. No, it's too much admin. But because the sugar gliders, 
eat more of the females. So the bachelor boys invade like normally monogamous pairs. And in the words of a researcher, they make a real nuisance of themselves. Oh, God. And quite. I've had that problem yeah. before. Mm. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's surprising. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so couples spend so much time fighting off bird rapists that it messes with their eating. Like they have less time to find food for themselves and to feed their babies. And so they actually know heaps about the swift parrots, unlike some of the other birds. But because like logging re- like actively continues, there's not much that the scientists can do. And like Stojanovic, he's like, it's common to arrive at like a known nesting area and find it's been cleared industrially or illegally for firewood because um, there's and this year like a heritage forest area in Tasmania has been earmarked for logging against all scientific advice. It was taken off a list. It's back on. Mm-hmm. And like it's not for the first time. No, I'm not and yeah and it's like the tree hollows they're a vital habitat and the replacement time for the trees is like more than 150 years okay that's a reasonable Uh, timeline and the parrot parrot's probably going to be gone by 2031 anyway right good so three for three thus far is like we've fucked it oh yeah and then climate change is coming for us all (laughs) (laughs) cheers to that everyone Oh, what a fun mm. episode. Yeah. I mean, but, oh, it's, yeah, there's, so these trees are like 60 metres tall and there's one tree that's like 92 metres, but it's it's not yet marked for logging. It's just nearby. Okay. One tree. I mean, there are others, but yeah. One singular tree is not marked for logging. Mm. That's good. Just yeah. one. We'll one. Mm. Um, there's only 10 birds in the wild anyway. We only need one, right? Great. Mm, and less birds every year. Um okay. Yeah, so there's widespread issues with, like, the Federal Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. It's just grim. And then I've also, I've just got a dot point that just says Europeans, which by, I mean. (laughs) Sorry, for everyone at home, I took a sip of wine, just said that and nearly spat it all over my computer. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, colonisation. No good. Um... Yeah, there's a couple more. Um, one that I've just sent because there was the photos are quite nice. The Regent Honey Eater, which is the most endangered songbird. Mm-hmm. There's a picture of like a really happy fellow yes. in glasses just holding the bird. Yeah. Yep. Could you describe, I guess, that? The image? man or the bird? I mean, just the whole vibe of the, the he thing. He's very happy. He's like a nerdy bloke but knows his way around a car and has very attractive eyes and good glasses and is in the bush and he has a tiny bird on his hand, which is a black and white and yellow thing. Um, it's got feathers. It's got a beak. It's got, I can see one eye, but I assume it's got two eyes. Um, that's all I know we about hope. birds. Yeah, the Regent Honeyeater, they're really beautiful. And until the 60s, they were common in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, but they're really, they like to eat two very specific types of d- endangered eucalyptus trees. Oh, great. Um, yeah, so they're hard to find and hard to study. But really beautiful. And the next one is, I should have looked up how to pronounce it. Okay, good. This is going to be good. So the 40 spotted pardalote, mm-hmm. pardalote, pardalote, P-A-R-D-A-L-O-T-E. I cannot help you, my friend. Pardalote. The 40 spotted individual is smaller than a matchbox. Oh. It's a little baby. Is it the small fat one? Um, the mm? small fat one. 
Yeah, in the pictures. Yeah. I think it's a little teeny tiny. Um, but it lives in tiny holes in trees really high in the rainforest canopy, so it's extremely hard to study. Oh, great. And, I mean, the list again, drought, habitat loss, sugar gliders. But also there's a type of fly that, like, it, you know, lays its eggs in the nest and then the maggots burrow into the skin yeah. and drink the blood of the babies. Oh, no. And then I've written yucko. <laughs> absolutely not that is some horror story bullshit also just i'm just flagging like i knew that we would be the main problem for most of these situations however Mm -hmm. did not anticipate that the sugar glider was going to be such a predator and an asshole consistently across the board like we gotta, oh, yeah. we got to change the image of the sugar glider. Kids are running around mm. with toy sugar gliders not knowing the threat that they pose to society. It's no good. And also because like, if you're a sugar glider, I mean, you're just like climbing from a height, throwing your arms out, hoping for the best, like a base jumper, I assume. I don't know how they – they don't flap. They no, just they glide, glide. But then they're just – They're not a sugar flapper. They're really into – no, sugar glider. They love sugar an endangered parrot. Murderer. Absolutely. Speaking of murderers. <laughs> oh, <they're- no>. <laughs> <laughs> go on then go on Fuck. Oh, the tasmanian masked owl okay who, does it kill rodents i mean it's like it's a pretty like decent predator like mostly a small animal small mammals yeah. and rodents yeah. but it will also eat birds possums oh. and padamelons oh which is an odd little wallaby yeah. looking thing I've, like I've, yeah mm. possums um, those things are feisty yeah, these are big owls. Okay. Um, so they prefer old forests, um, which is a problem. They are monogamous and territorial, and they only nest in like deep tree hollows, which are only present in the largest old eucalyptus trees. So, again, deforestation. Um, but the thing with them being territorial and monogamous is like the scientists will broadcast an owl call but even if an owl is nearby they often don't they don't care they're not interested in replying because they're like i've already got my bird down the road she's great i'm mm. i'm done the missus will be pretty mad if i respond to that other call is that why exactly it's like people who get in a relationship and then never see their friends again oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. that's these owls okay um but if you look at the, the pictures I've sent you of the owl, yeah. you might notice that a few of them are, are not of an owl. Yeah, there's a few owls and it looks like an owl and it looks like a big spooky owl and then there's a very cute dog with a lady. Yeah, that's lady with the dog. Yeah, so that's Zorro, the Border Collie Springer Spaniel Cross mm-hmm. um, and his owner whose name I forgot to write down, but she is one of the researchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're really hard to find these owls. But owl pellets are a thing. Oh, yeah. So they are the fur and bones of things that the owls have eaten that they vomit onto the forest floor. Yeah, that's mm. fun. Apparently they smell really bad. I can't imagine um, why. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so they're training dogs to find them. Um, and the University of the Sunshine Coast. Oh, has shout them. out. Ayo. I never went. I just lived on the Sunshine Coast to Clark. <laughs> <laughs> I went to school next to the uni. Anyway, Karen. I've been to the Sunshine I've been Coast. to the university. Have you? Yeah. Anyway, so they have. It's <laughs> not interesting at all. No. Um, they have a de- detection dogs for conservation program. So Zorro is learning from a more experienced dog. 
oh, to find these out. Okay, it's mm. good to have a mentor. Yeah, so it's an it's an important part of the team is the border collie. Yep. Um, so the King Island scrub tit <laughs> and Thornbill. <laughs> it shouldn't be funny, but it is, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it just sounds like like it sounds like an insult. It's like oh, you scrub yeah, that's tit, shut your hole, like. like you know, people very, very offensively go, oh, you mole. Like it sounds like that. Mm. Oh, you scrub tit. Scrubber. Oh, yeah, you so scrub tit. But I love it. Mm. Yeah. So these are considered forgotten birds. And if you look, one of the pictures that I've sent mm. you, because obviously it's a screenshot from the website. Yes, there's one picture of a bird and then the rest are empty trees and very um, upset looking people looking at empty trees. And no other yeah. It's just like scientists, like with binoculars, like it's on the website instead of because they only have like one picture of the bird. Because the, the, the thornbill, not the scrub tip, mm. the thornbill was not sighted between 1971 to 2001. No one saw oh. it. Well, um, okay. yeah. And then the next decade, it was seen fewer than 10 times. So when they started looking, pretty much. Um, so that's a new, new um, thing. But it's kind of good to know that birds that have seemingly disappeared. Once people actually start to look for them, they're like, oh, no, it's a, it, it may still be here, maybe, mm-hmm. potentially. Mm-hmm. I like their um, commitment to drama. They've posed, they've done some freeze frames in the mm. photos where they are seemingly looking for a bird and being like, oh, no, it's not here. Oh, like they're doing some acting. Yeah, because I, mean, I assume it's their whole day being like the bird is not here. It might be their whole life. <laughs> Truly. Bless them. Good work. Um, so there are, I mean, there's plenty of other researchers doing similar work because there's they just don't have the catchy name because um, there's so many things that are endangered. Well, but one, for example, is the night parrot. Oh, I've um, heard about Which this. is because mm-hmm. it's nocturnal um, but it's got low vision and keeps running into things in the dark. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, and, like, the, the kakapo in New Zealand has the same problem, but it doesn't fly anymore. It just hops around, whereas the... Yeah. Um, you would hope that evolution yeah. would be like, all right, like pull a daylight savings, like jet lag situation where you go, everyone, we're switching over. We're going to double sleep mm. or we're going to not sleep at all so that we switch over the next... Just live in the day. Yeah, truly. Um, but, no, they prefer to sleep in the day in the spin effects mm. and then they fly low and fences are not their friend because um, they tend to get coat-hanged and decapitated. Um, oh. Yeah. And they, they live, like, really remotely. Um, they're rarely seen, but they can be heard, which is cool and something that's they've figured out more recently, that if you know where to look or you know where to listen, you can hear them. And a really interesting thing that there's an in-depth, more in-depth, like, article on the ABC, which I'll obviously link to, which is really cool. The Biru people... And the Matu people um, have a dreaming story, which is about the night parrot. And it's like, a, you know, the birds being elusive, doesn't want to be named, doesn't want to be among the rest of the birds, goes off into the spin effects, um, but, you know, can be can be heard. And so that's a, I think that's always existed. And now lots of um, Indigenous rangers in protected areas are the ones who are studying and listening to the, the parrot yeah. again. Yeah, it's so there's it's a, it's really interesting. There's there's heaps of stuff about it, and yeah, so like in the 1800s, British colonizers discovered this bird, um, and obviously many people already knew about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's the same 
with like the like megafauna. People, are, oh yeah, we found we found a fossil, we found proof of this thing, and it's just like, oh, oh there are also actually. dreaming stories about it. Yeah. Um, or the like Tasmania being connected to the mainland by a land bridge. Yeah. They found proof of that. And it's like, oh, it's also in the oral, oral history. history. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I know I know a lot of things about birds now. I mean, I certainly um, know more things than I did coming into this, that's for sure. Mm, I think of these birds, the palm cockatoo is probably my favourite, the Ringo stuff. Yeah, that was good. That was a good little plot twist there. I did not see that one coming. I have a soft spot um, for the the dry cleaner lint bird, the orange belly <laughs> something. Yes, the orange bellied parrot, yeah. the moron, as it's moron. referred to <laughs> by the people who research yeah. it. Yeah, so there are hope for these for these birds. Um, they may not want to help themselves, but the scientists they are really trying. Well, yeah, that's about all I've got about the birds. Look, pretty much. Happy Bird Week, everyone. Uh, when you listen to this, it'll no longer be Bird Week. But maybe, you know, take some time to Google some of these birds and have a look-see and see what you can do to help birds in your local area. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Make a bloody look, bird. A bird but just put a bowl out with some water. God, it's not that hard. Anyway, great. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> We recorded this episode in October 2020 and it's now March 2021. So there's an update on the orange-bellied parrots, which is exciting. Um, these happy little dummies have just had the best breeding season on record. Yay! Um, you, you check out the Difficult Bird Research Group on Instagram for some more wholesome bird content and fluffy lint ball baby photos. Um, and we're on Insta and Twitter too at Australianorama if you want to keep in touch with us. Because we release episodes every Monday and it's a banger episode next week. Maddie is going to tell me all about the life and disappearance of former Prime Minister Harold Holt. So make sure you and everyone you know um, subscribes wherever you get podcasts. See you, bye. My sources for this episode came mostly from The Guardian, the ABC, the website of the Difficult Bird Research Group and our good friend Wikipedia. Wikipedia.